Welcome to Solid Steps Radio. This is Chad Russell, co-host here with Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. How are you doing this morning, buddy? Chad, I'm doing super, man. You're looking good. Thank you. Yeah, on this uh, spring morning. Yes, it is uh, with two weeks before Derby. Yeah, here we are. Man, it means it's going to snow at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as it always happens around here. If you're new to Kentucky, you'll realize that it's 81 day and... And I was heard somebody the other day, this this morning coming in, taping the show. We taped this on a Tuesday morning, but there was a guy talking about in Colorado. They they had seventy something degrees. Yeah. And then man. the next day they were two feet of snow. Yep. So my brother was out there. Is that right? Yep. Yikes. So okay, so um, we are a show for men by men. If you're just listening to this show and you're just flipping on your radio, uh, we, we are a show for men by men. We talk about men's stuff. We talk about being a husband. We talk about being a father. We talk about being a businessman, and we talk about just being a man in general, right? And so we try to talk about it from a guy's perspective and, and a couple knuckleheads with the radio. We just talk about it from, <laughs> from a guy's perspective. And so something that it's hard for me to believe, I looked it up in the beginning of this book here that I have in front of me. In 2001, that's 15 years ago, that's almost 20 years ago, this book that I have in front of me came out. And it was it took the business world by storm. It sure did. And if, if you're listening right now and you, you're in the business world, or you're in sales, or you're in any type of leadership, you almost know exactly what book I'm talking about right now. The author is Jim Collins, and the book is Good to Great. Good to Great. And it is just an iconic book that it has been the book of this generation, right? Yep. 2001. In fact, it, well, I was at a church conference uh, years ago, probably, probably 10 years ago, and uh, it was uh, Jim Collins was there to speak and promoting the, the book, Good to Great. Right. And uh, he is not on the show today, by the way, for those who are <laughs> thinking that I'm setting up Jim Collins. Jim's not on the show. But, but, but we got somebody who's, you know, please, just he's uh, he's going to be the next Jim Collins. But anyway, but the reason I brought this book up was because he brought up a, a, something that was just totally eye opening to the executive and the corporate world. It talked about level five leadership. OK, and for those of you who are not familiar with the book, it's worth the read. I mean, again, just go by, read the book. Yes. But it says here, here's a little uh, segment of the uh, portion of this book. It says, level five leaders channel their ego needs away from themselves and to, into the larger go of building a great company. It's not that level five leaders have no ego or self-interest. Instead, they're incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not themselves. And there were people, Fortune 500 eggheads around the world who were feverishly taking notes and going, that's very uh, interesting, level five leadership, putting other people ahead of yourself. Wow. You know, and like, we're like looking around going, man, they've been kind of talking about that for 2000 years. But there's somebody who's a level five leader talking about really, really long time modeled this. (laughs) So this book came up with the, I was the idea that I thought about of our guest today, who's going to talk about unpacking that kind of idea. We're not here to talk about this book, but to talk about some principles that he's been studying over the years. And so, yeah, and and really what we're going to talk about is, let me read this verse, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And Mm -hmm. it's right out of Philippians chapter two, talking about Jesus and uh, what, talking about a level five leader. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. And so, but we've got uh, my dear friend, Brad Shuck, and it's great to have you, brother. Man, thank you so much for having me. This is the first time someone's ever paralleled me with Jim Collins, so I'm gonna take this as a huge compliment right now. <laughs> well, you know, hey, we, well, you know what? We 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 believe in you, and what? what and what? And you know what? God's using you, man. Yeah, uh, it's you. it's really cool. Thank um, you. So, Brad, you are a professor down at UVL. Yep. And uh, what do you teach down there? Man, I teach in a program called Organizational Leadership and Learning. I um, 
we I teach at all levels of the institution, undergraduate, graduate, and I run our PhD program right now. And uh, I get the I teach leadership classes, research methods. It's great fun, man. Mm. Love it. Okay, so and you, you you grew up on the other side of Churchill Downs. Yeah, man. And you married Angie. Yeah, way out of my league, <laughs> way up, way up. And so how did how do you how do you go from uh, growing up on the other side of Churchill Downs and becoming U of L professor? What happened? Yeah, man. So I grew up off the backside of the Churchill Downs, off Southern Parkway, and um, how it happens is you have great family, mm-hmm. you have great family support, great mom, great dad. Um, I went to uh, Western Kentucky University uh, where I got my undergraduate and graduate degree. I went to Western Kentucky because I believed it to be the only school in the state that would take me. <laughs> so I graduated from a great school, great high school here in the, in the city, but I graduated at kind of the bottom of my class. And so uh, for many years, I just thought I was kind of, I was dumb and couldn't, school wasn't for me. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be my thing. And so uh, one day, uh, it was my first semester at Western Kentucky. I was walking under the bridge of the library. Anybody has been to the Hill knows where this is. And so I'm walking under that bridge. And it was back when they gave paper report cards. And I was like, well, this is a moment of truth. My dad was real clear. Like, you either, you either make the grades or you're coming home, right? And so tore open that report card and I had a 3.5 and I, guys I hadn't seen a 3.5 since like kindergarten so you're kind of like me you were in the top 90% of your high school yeah, class that's, that's exactly. if you don't get that joke you're probably that's there with us I was absolutely in the club yeah and so man from then on like I just believed in myself like okay I can do this I can do this I I, I am not done. I'm not an idiot I can do this um Met my wife my sophomore year. Best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, Angie, uh, I mean, she just shielded me. She transformed me. I mean, in just amazing ways. It's been a great life partner. And so here's how this happens. So graduate from Western Kentucky. We sell everything we own, right, and pack our clothes in a, in a 19 I think it was a 2001 silver Honda Accord and drove to Miami. And our parents thought we were crazy, and they were 100% correct about that. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. And so I ended up at Florida International University. Angie and I both worked down there, and um, I had just graduated with my master's degree. And uh, this, I know this is going to sound hard to believe, but I was bored. I Angie was working on her graduate degree, and I was watching movies on Lifetime or something, right? Like, I, I didn't know what to do with my time. And so I had a, a faculty mentor that said, hey, why don't you just take a class? Just, you know, take one doctoral class. And so I did. And uh, and one class becomes two, and then you get to a dissertation. And God willing, you know, you pray your way through those things, man. And God <laughs> gives you the strength. And I'm real upfront. Like, I didn't write that. God wrote that. That's God's words. He he allowed me to be the vessel for that. And uh, graduated, and we moved back to Louisville. Angie worked for Cozair Children's Medical Center for a little while, and I was unemployed. And uh, quit my job in Miami, moved back home, and because uh, we were expecting our first and only Maddie, Maddie Grace. And um, mm. uh, opportunity opened up at UofL, and... And God opened that door, man. It's been incredible. It's been a now great you, ride. Now you've been there how long now? I've been there six years, man. Wow. Yes, I know. They keep me around there. <laughs> it's shocking to you me. Get, and, and, and you've you've had some really cool opportunities mm-hmm. to um, yeah. speak. You, you've, you've talked with companies really all over the world. Yeah. Ta- I, talk with... Tell us yeah. what's been going on there. Well, I've uh, I've had a chance, been to London twice, um, and worked with uh, some universities, the London School of Business, the Parliament over there. I've been down to Panama, spoken at the Panama Canal to their team down there. And just recently, my wife and I took a trip to Barcelona where I, I did a, 
a presentation at the International Leadership Association. And the, the ILA, International Leadership Association, is the world's premier leadership consortium for academics and practitioners where they, they bring this together and they blend all this stuff up. So we were down there talking about this idea of compassionate leadership and what that means. And so our team at the university uh, has been kind of focused on that over the last 18 months. So we're just kind of unpacking that and talking about what that means. And, and you you really have dug into that. Yeah, man. And that's, I mean... Uh, you, you shared before, just while we were this morning early. Yeah. Uh, the, the those two words don't. No. We we don't think of those two words, compassionate and leadership, together. Yeah, you know, in my in my line of work, it's not often you come up with a new idea. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's been done out there, right? So, I, my job is to research and write and to teach. And there's books and books and books and books written about. If you go to Barnes and Noble, I mean, there's hundreds, there's thousands of books that've been written on leadership. You'd be hard-pressed to find the two, those two words, compassionate and leadership, put together. And I was shocked to find that, I mean, there was literally nothing on that. And I think it's because people were, they didn't understand how those two ideas went together. And you, you guys, we were talking about it earlier where with Jim Collins is talking about the level five leader. And we're talking about Jesus and, and the way that he modeled and he put other people first. That's just traditionally not the way that we think about leadership. And researchers and academics have a way of kind of messing all that stuff up because we get so dug into the science, there's oftentimes not some practical application that we can do. And so it was really very important for us that when we dig into this idea of compassion, and I'm standing in front of a Fortune 50 company telling them that their leaders need to act with dignity. I mean, to treat, I mean, think about how simple that is, right? To treat other people with dignity. Philippians 2. Man, that changes that changes companies. It does because people don't get that. Oftentimes at work, we miss the idea of dignity. We understand it conceptually. We understand it in our mind. We get it in our heart. But the practice of that can be hard because we expect something giant, big to happen to move us. That we need a dignity movement at work. No, you just need to you just need to treat people well. You need to say hi in the morning. You need to treat when, when the when the person who's cleaning the office building walks by in the morning, you need to say hi. Man, I was at the university one morning, early one morning. It was like 6 o'clock in the morning. I had to get there super early. and ran into the person that cleans our building. And, he, and I was working on this big project, and I had a deadline I had to hit. He came to my, my door, and uh, he said, hey, how are you? Man, I didn't have time to talk to him. You know what I did? Mm-hmm. I turned around. Hey, I'm good. How are you? You doing all right this morning? We had a 45-minute conversation about his life. Mm. Now, I could have missed that opportunity to do that. And we all have. And we all have. I've done it many, many times. I've messed this up way more times than I've gotten it right. And companies struggle with this, man. Mm. Companies struggle with things like integrity and empathy and authenticity. Wow. We're going we're gonna to unpack that some more because that is powerful stuff in the workplace, mm. in life. And uh, even at home. Yep. For well, those of you listening, we're going to take it from the Fortune 50 companies. And we're going to work it all the way down to how does this affect you and me when we go home. And we're going to take, talk about that in the next segment about his, uh, Brad's interaction with companies around the world and talking about this and from a corporate standpoint. So uh, thanks for listening to Solid Steps Radio. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Solid Steps Radio. This is Chad Russell, co-host along here with Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. And if you want to hear this show in its entirety or any of our past shows, we've got all kinds of places you can go to. You can go to furtherstill.org, and there's a spot you can just click on and listen to all of our past shows. You can go to soundcloud.com. You can go to iTunes. You can go to our Facebook page, and you just type in Solid Steps Radio, and you will find us. 
and listen to all of our past shows. If you're just catching this, we are li- talking with Brad Shuck of the University of Louisville, and he is a professor of organizational leadership and learning. And um, a lot of people will find a lot of things that are uh, in what he's talking about we can incorporate, especially in the business world. And we talked a little bit before, that, before the break about how he talks to big corporations about this compassionate leadership. Yeah, so Brad, tell us, uh, you, you've had some clients kind of all mm-hmm. over the world. Um, who are who are some of the folks you work with? Yeah, man, o- off the top of my head, yeah, companies like Bank of America, GM, Cisco, uh, AT&T, LinkedIn, Eli Lilly, um, folks that are uh, in the southern part of the United States, northern part, I mean, all, uh, literally all over the United States. And... Uh, you they call you in they do and they what do they want from you and they they they're calling me in for one of two reasons they either have a great opportunity and they want to seize that opportunity they see an opportunity to change the business culture to to develop some kind of a competitive advantage and and they want somebody to come in and help them kind of capitalize on that or they contact me because there's some pain going on there's a lot there's huge turnover uh, people aren't raising their hands in meetings. Creativity has plummeted. People are showing up for work, but they quit and stayed a long time ago. We call that warm chair attrition. You show up, you warm your chair up, but you don't really get a whole lot of work done that day. And so folks call me in to kind of help them solve those problems. So, what? So okay, so you, so GM calls you in, Ford calls you in. Yeah. What, what, what do you tell them? Yeah, man, you know, um, the, the, the first thing I, I try to help them understand is it's the little, it's the little actions. It's the little decisions. So it, it isn't so much about having a campaign or a movement. Or so, one of the things we talk about a lot is this idea of employee engagement. This is a hot topic. Everybody wants more engagement, more engagement, more. But folks really don't know what that is and how that builds over time. And we want this at church. Do we? We need, so let's take this from a church. We want volunteer engaged. We want our volunteers to be more engaged. Well, why do people do that? Why would people voluntarily give of their time and energy when they could be giving it someplace else? Right. So this is an unbalanced way of being. If I'm volunteering at church, I can't also be doing something else some other place. It's not physically possible for me to do that. So when a business asks that of their employees, they're making a significant and pretty steep ask. And so uh, I help them understand how the little things that they do every day send the most powerful message of transformation for their company. You want to move the needle on turnover. You want to move the needle on creativity. It really is getting back into the way that we treat people at work, the messages that they get at work, and what people do with those messages. See, people don't engage when they don't see meaning and when they don't feel safe and when they don't feel adequately equipped. People have a tendency to emotionally and physically just back away from the table. And, it re- and really, it doesn't matter if you're a Fortune 500 company no. or you're running, you get you got 10 people in your in your office and you're just running a small little business here in town or whatever. No, and I would, sus- I, here's my suggestion, man. The, the the folks that have 10 people in the office mm-hmm. this is the this is critical because if I'm at GM I've got 10,000 people or any Bank of America or anybody I've got 10,000 people if one guy doesn't raise their hand in a meeting that's okay we can move past that but if I'm in a room of 10 people and the the viability of my business depends on folks being engaged with their work and being present in the moment and one, a couple people don't raise their hand because they don't feel engaged. Man, I, I've missed a significant opportunity to capitalize on something. Okay, so let's let's talk specifics mm. on because really this all really comes from the life of Jesus. It does, yeah, and re, it's right into the scriptures. But let's talk real practically mm. w- when you say it's the little things. Yeah, Des- describe that. You mentioned dignity in the first segment. Yeah, T- uh, um, talk some more about some of the small little things. That leaders can do, run, p- business people, people who are in, you know, who are over other people. Yeah. And, 
Just describe that. Well, there, so I'll give you two two examples. One is around the idea of, of being present. So presence. So when we talk about compassionate leadership, compassionate leadership or compassionate leaders are present in the moment. There are six things that a compassionate leader does. They work with a sense of integrity. They have a sense of accountability and hold their team accountable. They have empathy. They're authentic. They're present in the moment, and they treat other people with dignity. Those are the six things that we define as the behaviors of a compassionate leadership. So let's let's take the idea of presence for a minute. How many times have we been at work and we've been talking to somebody and they've been they've been they're here, they're looking at me, but they're not with me. They're thinking about their email, they're thinking about the next meeting, they're prepping for something down the road. Mm-hmm. We sense that, man. I mean, when we're in relationships with people and think about this at home, right? My wife knows when I'm not listening to her. <laughs> oh, yes, she I does. I mean, she knows yeah. too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How do they know that? It's shocking, right? <laughs> and she, and you know what? You know what she does? She stops talking. Mm-hmm. Should are, are we surprised by that? So at work, I'm not. I'm not present in the moment, and somebody stops giving their best ideas. Somebody stops coming to their one-on-one meetings. Somebody stops raising their hands in the meeting, and we're surprised by that. Mm. No, 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 no. We should expect that. Being present in the moment is huge. It's about giving people, it's about valuing people in that moment and being and loving where you are right now. And so when I'm at home, if I really, if I want to lead at home and I want to, I want to lead at business, when my wife's talking to me or my, my five-year-old's talking to me, I'm looking at them. I'm listening to them. Now, my wife will tell you I don't do this well. All right. So I just want to. I'm not suggesting that I do this any better than any other guy out there. But I understand the power of the implication of what happens when I don't do that. Mm. Let's take my five-year-old little girl. She's looking at daddy, and daddy's checking his email Mm. at work at 9 o'clock at night instead of reading bedtime stories, instead of looking at her artwork, instead of, you know, five-year-olds do, they jump around the house and they want you to watch that's important, man. Mm. So the message I'm giving to my little girl at that moment is my email is so much more important than you. My, this, this spreadsheet is so much this And the truth of the matter is when she goes to bed, I can get back to that. What I need to be doing, if I'm going to be a compassionate leader in my house, I should shift my attention over because the message I'm sending people, what I don't do that is that I don't value you. And when people don't feel valued at home or in the workplace, brother, they push away from the table. And we cannot be surprised by that. Mm. Mm. So the Bible says to honor one another above yourself. So uh, do you, do, I got to ask here, though, uh, the opportunity and pain yeah. part. Um, mm. wh- you said the companies come to you in those two places. Yes. So here's the pain piece. Give me, the, give me a couple and, examples. And that's, of that's, so let's talk about accountability, right? Mm. Accountability is awkward because it's hard. And it means sometimes delivering tough messages to people. So uh, at, from time to time, I'll work with a leader who needs to deliver a really tough message, but they won't do it because they don't, they don't want to deal with that moment of someone being upset or hurt. Here's what we say to those folks. The most uncompassionate thing that you can do is to not tell them. And to let them just go on, right? So I'm a faculty member. My, at the end of the semester, my, I have to give out grades. I could give everybody A's, <laughs> right? And it would be super easy and everybody would love me. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. But man, would anybody learn anything? No, and that's my job, right? Like I have got to hold people accountable. 
that's that's part a leader's job in the workplace is this sense of accountability in addition to you hold people accountable with dignity right you you, you help you, you're not screaming at them you're, you're not, not, you're not right. being a jerk about it no you're delivering a message of truth and uh, i can't remember who said this but I, I, I was it was it was a church one uh, one afternoon and maybe it was like Greg Allen and he said some people just need people to speak truth in their life you just need to speak truth and that's true we don't have that enough what happens on a team so a place uh, a, bi- a big corp- Fortune fifty company what happens when you don't hold people accountable is people people learn that over time well Chad's not being held accountable so I don't. I don't really have to do this. There's not really a deadline here, right? And one that ends up happening is you erode the emotional energy of the other people on your team, and you begin to bring down the performance level of your team. Holding people accountable, I get, is is hard and awkward. Compassionate leaders do the hard things. They do the things that are uncomfortable, but they do it in a way that shows empathy and that shows dignity. And I think this bleeds over into into the home as well. You know, we... I don't I don't like having to tell my daughter no about something. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't like that because she gets mad at me and I as a dad I don't I want her to love me all the time. What's been the most interesting thing for me as a new dad? And my daughter's 5 is that I'll have to sometimes deliver a tough message to Maddie. And I'll say, Maddie, we can't do this. It's not a choice. And there's a consequence for that choice, right? We'll follow through on the consequence of that choice. Mm. You know what she comes back and does? She hugs my leg. Mm-hmm. She knows daddy loves her. Daddy has her very best interest in mind. We don't talk about love at work very often. We don't talk about those kinds of concepts at work. But holding people accountable sends a message of care. Look, I care enough about you to tell you because for the past 15 years, somebody's passed you along. And I'm going to sit down. And we're going to work through this together. Well, let's, uh, we're going to take a break. Yep. But I want to... I wanna talk about that a little bit more in depth because how do we show compassion and do it with accountability how, how do we do that specifically and we need to take a break right now yeah we want to take a break before we take a break we want to thank our sponsors carol rogers carpet one and we want to thank ellen and credit union both of those organizations for stepping up and showing us compassion and we by writing a uh, we are and helping so, sponsor our we're show. so grateful <laughs> we're very <laughs> thankful for that so we're going to take a break be back uh, here in a minute with brad shuck of the university of louisville on solid steps radio welcome back to our third segment of solid steps radio if you're just joining us we have brad shuck of the university of louisville he's a professor of organizational leadership and learning and uh, yes, there is an actual class on that. And uh, sounds I interesting. Wish, I wish I had that about thirty years ago. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about two words that you don't hear typically put together: compassionate leadership. And mm-hmm. we've heard it. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you have heard that. You have seen it. You have read it in His life. But now we're talking about what does it look like in a practical aspect of our lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the business world. So, Brad, we talked about in the last segment about accountability. So, how do you how do we hold people accountable? And yet, do it with, with grace. Yeah, with and with compassion. Man, I love that word grace. Uh, I and I use it a lot with companies. Um, I use it as a way to open up different kinds of conversations with them. But also, I find that people respond to the word grace emotionally because we don't get it very often. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of times when we can think of where people have extended us grace and. 
I think some places use that word and they use the word surfacely. But when it when we really extend someone grace, it is about putting ourselves with them and understanding where they are. So one example that comes to mind for me, particularly around the idea of accountability, I was in Detroit. Um, this was a couple of years ago, and, and I, your listeners can't see me. I, I'm a young guy, right? Like So I, at this time, I was 34 years old, okay? So I want you to imagine this 34-year-old guy in this shirt and tie in, De- in cold Detroit. And Detroit is, you know, is, that's car. Uh, it's car land. It's car land, man. I mean, that's that's where the heartland of America's uh, uh, vehicles are made and, and born right there. And so I was given this talk in this, uh, this giant, beautiful building, and um, I was a little upset that morning because my time had got cut short. So I typically go about an hour and a half, two hours, and they cut me to 45 minutes. And for a guy like faculty, man, I can talk for hours about statistics and research and real boring stuff. And so cut me to 45. I, you know, I was a little upset about that. So cut me to 45. And uh, so I'm packing up my stuff. I'm getting ready to go to the airport. And uh, a guy comes up to me and says, hey, there's a group of people that uh, would like to talk to you. Do you mind to, to go over there and, and just kind of introduce yourself and sit down with them for a minute. I said, no, and I don't mind to do that. But my routine is I get to the airport as fast as I possibly can because I work. I get to the airport and I work. I immediately start working. And so these people are going to cut into my time, but that's fine. So I walk over and I, I sit down with them. And I'm sitting with the C-suite of of one of the four major car companies in the world. And and this, this woman looks at me and she says, we loved your message today. We need to shift our culture. And they did need to shift their culture. Uh, the American public knew they needed to shift their culture. They knew they needed to shift their culture. They weren't sure how to do it. And then she said, what can we do? And so for 45 minutes, I sat with a C-suite of one of the world's largest motor vehicle manufacturers. These are the big dogs. These are These high-level the, people, right? You're probably driving one of their vehicles right now. I have, I have one sitting out in the parking lot. Right. And... My first thought is, I have no business being in this conversation with these folks. We sat at that table as equals, and we just had a conversation about what it meant to have a culture of accountability that also had a sense of empathy and dignity. And so I want you to think about it. When you hear the word accountability, it's about responsibility. And responsibility isn't isn't about being hard and tough and when we hear the word accountable we hear a a hard outer shell i need to stand up and point my finger and raise my voice and that's not true at all accountability is so much more about setting lofty goals and and setting setting an endpoint and then holding people accountable for for the work that they're going to be doing along the way where i think companies make this big mistake is they they script everything out well you have to do it x y and z you have to do it this way this way this way rather than just defining what the end point is and then getting kind of out of the way and then checking in from time to time making sure there's a sense of responsibility that people have and cultivate and that we hold folks accountable for their work and when someone doesn't miss a mark, right? It's not about screaming at them and making them feel bad. That's going to push them away from the table a lot more than sitting them down and saying, look what's going on. We had agreed to this. We're not able to, you know, we're not making this mark today. Um, you know, how can I help you? What's going on here? And having a conversation to find out what's going on. I find out, I find when I work with companies and, and particularly the company that we, I was talking about up in Detroit, helping them understand that accountability was not finger wagging and yelling and 
and using authoritative power. Being domineering. It's not about being domineering. It really is about being with people. And here's what I find is when we do the other things well, when we treat people with integrity and we treat people with dignity and we treat people with empathy and we have a sense of responsibility for ourselves, accountability comes easy because it naturally rolls, right? It just it just happens. That's uh, that's a that's a powerful thing. I, I mean, in, in my experience, even in the life of the church, sometimes it's accountability. We miss accountability, and mm. and when we when there is accountability, it's it's done a little bit more with some finger yeah. wagging and, and and kind of a, a, a looking down. Yeah, and and that you don't mean that at all. No, in fact, I I hope that people don't hear accountability and hear the word judgment. The word judgment robs the ability for someone else to tell their story. When you judge me, right, and you're making a judgment about me, you're telling my story for me. I don't need you to tell my story for me. I want you to invite me to tell you what's going, to tell you my story. Mm. So when we, when we finger wag and we stand up and we domineer over people, right, and we make a judgment, we make an assumption about someone, we rob them of the ability to tell their own story because I'm judging you and I'm telling your story. And in the workplace, that doesn't work very well. People, <laughs> people back up from that. And does any, I can't think of any, any time in my life where I wanted someone to judge me and tell my story for me. We, I, I rem, I'm reminded of a time when, when I was a, a graduate student, we had a, a lunch uh, club where we would meet, and we would invite administrators in and business leaders in. And the only, the only thing that we asked them to do was just tell your story. Just, we just want you, how did you get to be vice president? How did you, and you know, we were wide-eyed kids. We didn't have any idea what was going on. Tell us what you, how did you do this? And I remember people being in that lunchroom, and they would tell their stories, and at the end of it, these people were in tears, these are big wigs, and we were in Miami at the time. And so these are big companies, and these execs are literally crying at the table. And we would say, well, why, are you, why are, you, are, are you sad? Are you upset? Why are you crying? They would say, no one's ever asked me my story before. No one's ever taken the time to listen to me. You mean you've been in business for 30 years, and nobody's asked you your story and how you got here? Are you kidding me? And some grad students from FIU bring you to lunch? I mean, it was... Like chicken and rice, man. We were poor. We couldn't afford anything. But we wanted to hear these people's stories. Accountability is a responsibility with a story. It's about. It's not about letting folks off easy. It's about setting those lofty goals. It's about aiming high and going to get those things. But when we don't, when we don't hold people accountable, that's where the hard thing comes. In. That's what, and that's why people don't do it. It's awkward sometimes. It's it's very difficult to say, hey, listen, you you can't come in. You can't come into work 30 minutes late every day. But it's also, it's, uh, well, it's, it's the old uh, principle of, you know, seeking to understand before being understood. It's, oh, it's I having, love that. It's, it's really listening. What, what, what's really going on in their world right. and coming alongside them and, and, and understanding their situation. Yeah. And understanding so, so that you can, you can be helpful to them. You yeah. can be a resource to them. Right. So it's hearing the situation but holding steady on, on the responsibility, right? I, I, I am extending grace. I hear your story. I, you know, for me, for example, I hear that your daughter was sick this morning. You had a really tough morning, right? I get it. Look, I, I really, if this is going to happen again tomorrow, if just call me, 
let me know. I just need I need a heads up because I have people asking me about this or, you know, if this is a pattern of behavior over time, we just need to be aware of it. The leaders need to understand that accountability works in two ways. It works not only with the employee, but where it also works and is fairly cumulative is with your team. Because if someone else is pushing the envelope mm-hmm. and they're getting away with some things that they we all know they shouldn't be. And, and look, folks test boundaries at work. They just do, right? If this person's getting away for a long time, you're sending a real clear message of your team that there's not a sense of accountability and responsibility. And that erodes the performance of your team. No that, question about and, it. And, and that happens in our home. Yeah, man. Absolutely. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not belittling our kids. It's not being, you know, it's, it, it's holding that high standard, but doing, doing it with grace and yeah. with honor. That's right. Um, not yelling. That's right. You know, I, I was reminded, the book of James says, be, be slow be, be quick to listen mm. and be slow to speak be, and to slow become angry. Yeah. It's um, Kyle Adelman talked about this in his sermon series on the cumulative effect, right? It, uh, particularly with the idea of accountability and with many of the things that we define as a compassionate leader, man, it's the things that are easy to do and it's the things that are easy not to do. And that defines the outcome over and over and over and over again. It is very easy to not say anything, Right. But we're setting a culture. You need to know that. Mm. Wow, you need to know that. Let's tell you what, we're going to stuff. take a break and take our final segment, which is very unfortunate, but uh, because this is an incredible conversation that we're having. But we, there are six things that you've said in the study that show compassionate leadership. We've covered the first four, three. We're going to cover four, five, and then the sixth one. You said there is one of all six that if you don't miss this. Yeah. You can't miss this one. Can't miss this one. And we're going to cover that in the next segment. So stay tuned and listen to our final segment here with Brad Shuck of the University of Louisville on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our final segment of Solid Steps Radio. This is Chad Russell, Kurt Sutter, along here today with Brad Shuck of the University of Louisville. And we want to thank Carol Rogers Carpet One and Ellen and Credit Union for sponsoring our show. And if you want to hear the show in its entirety, you can go to furtherstill.org, soundcloud.com, iTunes, or Facebook, and type in Solid Steps Radio. Guys, we have been talking about compassionate leadership. I, I just love this mm-hmm. stuff. This Brad, this is it's awesome to have you in here. And you've been talking about six things that are are critical for compassionate leadership. We talked about integrity a little bit. We talked about presence, being being present, mm-hmm. the the power of accountability. We talked about that last, um, and uh, authenticity. And and then you mentioned empathy. Yeah, talk about that just real quickly. Yeah, man. So empathy is understanding somebody else's perspective or feelings and then taking action. So empathy, and don't miss that, because I think a lot of people miss that with empathy. Empathy is like, oh, I feel really bad for you. Empathy has an, is an action-oriented word. It's mm. about, I'm, I hear you, I understand what's going on, I'm willing to take action toward that. And so leaders uh, in companies can take action in a variety of different ways um, in terms of how they respond to their folks, the kind of resources they can get for them. And I'm not just talking about like employee relations kinds of things, but you know, maybe maybe somebody needs an extra team member or they, or they need some kind of technology or they just need somebody to listen for a little bit, right? And so empathy has this connotation of understanding where you are and hearing your story and then having some action connected to that. Doing something. Yeah, man for them doing yeah. something about the situation that's right so mm. it's not exactly. empathy if there's not action it, is that yeah, true it's sympathy sympathy it's just, okay it's just having sympathy sympathy is is no action that's right empathy is feeling but with action with action man yeah and that's the thing about compassion compassion is an action-oriented word it's not static it's not just out there 
When we have compassion, we are willing to take action. We're willing to see, recognize, and then take action toward. Yeah, because we talked about it at the very, at the very beginning, before even the show, and just here in the studio, yeah. that you said compassion doesn't mean soft. It doesn't. No, it it means moving forward. It means, but, that's right. but the, that, and that's again, we go, we go back to the life of Jesus. We are here today, two thousand years later, because of how Jesus was a level five leader. Yeah. Leader, he was the most incredible leader of all time. Yeah. So just to think and recap for like, think about all the times that Jesus had empathy with other people, where he met them where they were, and he had action. When Jesus held people accountable, Jesus held people accountable with grace, but there was a high standard, man. There was a high standard. Mm. He looked at Peter, yeah, held him accountable, yeah, and said, "Get behind me, Peter. Yeah. You, you do not have in mind the things of God." And and yet he turns right around and says, "And Peter, but on this truth, I will build my church, and and you will be, you know, the the, the great leader of the of the early church." That's powerful, man. Yeah, that is, That's is, so powerful. Yeah, accountability, and and yet he he built life into him and spoke yeah. truth into him. Um, the, the, you, you said between the break, Brad, yeah. that of, of these six principles of compassionate leadership, there's one that kind of sticks out even more, that has more power, kind of yeah. more punch. We, and we were surprised by this. Uh, it's dignity. When you treat other people with dignity, and, and here's how we, we define dignity. It is honoring the fundamental worth of each human being. Mm. Honoring the fundamental worth of each person. When we do that at work, I, I can think of countless examples of when I've seen people treated undignified. And the response is physical when that happens. I mean, physically see somebody. I'm reminded of a story about a lady that worked at a jewelry store for 30 years. And she worked at this jewelry store for, uh, and, and, you know, helping people select wedding rings and engagement rings. And over the course of the 30 years, the comp- uh, that store in particular had experienced a lot, of, a lot of theft. And the company thought that managers were just not doing inventory correctly. And so they went through manager after manager after manager after manager, right? And one day they found this lady uh, on camera. I caught her on camera and went to her house. And underneath her bed, underneath her mattress, was a box of every piece of jewelry that she had stolen from the store, she had taken from the store. This lady's in her 70s, man. They said... Man, why did you, you never sold anything, you never wore anything, you just kept it in a box under your bed? She said, yeah. Every time someone spoke down to me or made me feel less than, every time somebody treated me without dignity, I just put a little piece of something in my pocket and I took it home. And it was a reminder for me and a way for me to get back at that person that was treating me without dignity. A powerful story. And a powerful illustration of what happens to people when they feel like they're being treated without dignity. And think about what that means, right? Understanding and honoring. I love that word, honoring the fundamental worth of each human being. Meaning that every time I come in contact with somebody, I'm not judging you. I'm honoring who you are. I'm honoring this space. I'm in this moment. Dignity, of all, of all six of the behaviors of a compassionate leader, dignity is the most predictive of performance. It explains high levels of engagement. It explains low levels of turnover. It explains creativity. It explains a host of other very important performance-related variables in the workplace. And we were shocked by that because it's the easiest to do. It's hard to hold people accountable, right? Well, I would expect accountability to be the one. It's hard to, to have empathy with everybody and be willing to take action. Dignity, man, that's simple. 
But when we do dignity, everybody, they rise to the occasion. It's incredible. When we believe in people, when we believe in people, we meet them where they are. Dignity transforms people because for some people, they've not they've not experienced a lot of dignity in their lives. And when they find that, man, they pour into that. I'm reminded of the idea of pouring into people. So, okay, so Brad, practically speaking, mm. when we when we're thinking about in the in the work world and and at home, how do we give? How do we give that dignity? Because I, I think you're right. I think it's mm. we're, it's it's a lost art in our culture today. How do we give that dignity? I think dignity is a mindset. I think dignity is is the way in which we approach our day and the way in which we approach people. Okay. And so so practically, it, it ties in with all the other themes that we've talked about today. It's it's not judging people. It's, it's not telling their story for them. It's being willing to, to put myself in their shoes and to hear them and then be willing to take action. It's being willing to set a high standard and help them get to that place, right? And so there's a sense of accountability with that. It's also being there in the moment. When I'm, when I'm talking to you, to be with you to not be off some other place. Mm. So all the other all the other things that we talk about with compassion all roll up into this idea of, dig- of dignity. And it is so transformational for people because they so infrequently get, we, we, and I would include many of us, so infrequently get dignity. We get the surface level of that. But man, how many times have we really been present? Mm. How many times have we really had empathy for somebody and willing to go the extra mile? Those are the kinds of things... They transform companies. They transform teams. It's incredible, man. And, and it transforms families. There's no question about that transforms the way people experience life. And that's what drives this research for me, is I fundamentally believe that people who get to experience work and home and life like this with dignity and presence and authenticity and empathy, do they, people fundamentally live life differently. What you were talking about absolutely exhilarates me. It is so powerful. I mean, again, I go back to Jesus, yeah. and I, and you know, when he looks at blind Bartimaeus and he, and he touches him, and he looks, you know, he looked at people in the eyes. He touched, he touched the leper. Yeah, you know, I mean, talking about dignity and honor. Everybody is won't even unclean. They're, they're screaming unclean, unclean, unclean. You know, uh, but but Jesus goes to them and touches them. And gives them honor. Recognizing the fundamental worth of every human being. Wow, that is so good. Brad, I am so bummed <laughs> because the hour is now up. And uh, this has been so rich. Um, Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's been such a treat to have you in here. I've been looking so forward to this interview. and um, But we got to close it up. So, Brad, this is a show for men by men. And uh, I want you to pray for the guys right yeah. now that we would live this kind of life. So go ahead and pray, will you please? Yeah. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in earnest and desperate prayer. God, as men who seek you, seek your face and seek your will. Lord God, I I pray for the guys that are listening out there that are just struggling. They just don't understand. God, that you would speak to them, that you would move them, that you would help them to to feel your presence at this moment. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we go to work and we lead in our homes, that we can lead in a way that is compassionate, that we give people grace and empathy and that we're present with our families. That tonight when we go home of uh, of anything else, that when when our wives just talk to us or our little girls or little boys talk to us, that we turn and we listen and we're at that moment with them and that they know that by our actions that we love them unconditionally. 
and mm-hmm. we care so so deeply for them. Lord God, I I'm humble before you. I'm grateful. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have spent this time this morning. God, I pray for the men. God, that you would lead us in a way that honors your will mm-hmm. and your glory. Mm-hmm. Amen. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you. It's been fantastic to have you in here. Thank you. Tell you what, just for all, all of our listeners, if you're just joining us and you heard this, you're like, man, that was awesome. I want to hear it all. Furtherstill.org, SoundCloud.com, iTunes, Facebook. You just type in Solid Steps Radio. We're going to post this podcast on Mondays, so you'll be able to hear this anytime you want. Pass this along to someone, a business leader, somebody who runs an organization, civically, you name it. This is great information from them. And actually, Brad Kane bearing gifts today, a free ebook. Yeah, we have an iBook that's available on uh, on the Apple on the Apple Store. It's free uh, for download. Um, you can look up Compassionate Leader. You'll find it right there. I have a co-author, Marianne Honeycutt Elliott, who wrote, co-wrote that book with me. Uh, so you can find it there. And then we have some clips that are available on YouTube. If people just look up Brad Shuck, they'll, they'll see them. And if you're listening, we're going to post those on our Facebook page. So you go to facebook.com forward slash Solid Steps Radio. We're going to have that link for the free iBook or eBook. Uh, and also for the YouTube videos with Brad in action uh, speaking over in Barcelona. So we thank you for listening. What a great hour it's been. Kurt, thank you so much. You bet. Brad, thank you. And uh, thanks for listening to Solid Steps Radio. We